All right. I just read this book here, Switch, How to Change When Change is Hard, written by Chip and Dan Heath, two brothers. Excuse me. And uh, I have to say this was a pretty well-written book. I have my notes here just behind the camera so I can kind of read and give me a little bit of guidance to help you or help myself uh, remember what the book was about. And we'll start with chapter one. So chapter one, they start talking off. They start by talking about how to imagine your mind first off. Okay. So they use, a, they use sort of an analogy given to us by Jonathan Haidt. And what the analogy is, is first we have to realize that we have an emotional side of our brain or mind, and we have a, a rational side of our mind, right? And how we can imagine this as the emotional side is kind of an elephant, right? Just, just go, just work with me here. It's an elephant. And then the rational side is the rider, right? So the rider rides the elephant. And so think of it like this, your emotional side kind of directs where you're going and it has a lot more power than your rational side, right? And it makes a little bit of sense, right? If you're trying to lose weight, it's a lot harder to do it if you don't have some emotional backing towards it, right? Your emotions make a lot of, our de of your decisions right now. However, we do have a rider that can direct our emotions and help us get to where we want to go. And sometimes the rider can even overpower the elephant, rain on the, the, the strings really hard and force the elephant to go certain directions. But as we all know, our willpower will eventually succumb to, the, to our emotional side. So to, to continue with the analogy, the rider will lose the tug of war with the elephant after a while. But he can do some damage. Um, it's significant to know this because hopefully if we want to achieve true change, we're going to have the rider and the elephant work in synergy and uh, go towards the goal together. And this, this, this uh, analogy works even better because there's three main things that we want to do that they talk about in chapter one to uh, uh, initiate change, to facilitate change. The first one is to give the rider a specific direction to go, right? The rider is your conscious mind. You got to make it easier for your conscious, your rational side to know what to do. The second thing is to tell your tell the elephant where they go, right? Make it really easy for the elephant to know where they go. That's your emotional side. Give you some power behind where you're going. And then the third thing is to clear the path for the elephant and rider and make it very easy and uh, the path of least resistance for them to go there, right? And throughout the book, they give lots of ways to do this. So we'll just get started right away because in chapter two, they say the first, the first strategy is to look for the bright spots in a, uh, and what we have done, right? So first, let's we got to go over a little bit about what we normally do, and uh, what we we have in our mind something called the negativity bias. And you might have heard of this, and or you might just intuitively know about it. And it's that we tend in life to focus on the negative events, right? When you look at the news, for example, everything's about murder, the economy's going terrible, uh, shootings everywhere, bad negative events or more vivid to our mind and we tend to focus on them. The same thing happens when we're trying to achieve our goals. We tend to look at why things went wrong, why we couldn't do what we wanted to do, why the odds were stacked against us. And uh, then we kind of fall into this hopeless uh, abyss that is our goal, right? Instead, in the book, Dan and Chapif uh, recommend to look at the bright side. Look at why, when did things go right and why did they go right? And this helps us in a couple ways because first of all, it gives us a little momentum. You know, we saw things that went right the first time. But number two, more importantly, it it allows us to see why things went right and how can we re-implement these methods. 
right? So one example from the book that they give is uh, there was a social worker that went to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, he, his goal was to kind of uh, uh, reduce malnutrition among children. And conventional wisdom at the time was basically that to do this, you would have to reduce poverty. You would have to create a whole new infrastructure of sewers, of transportation, a whole, the whole nine yards, right? But this guy, I didn't write his name down sadly, but this guy, he, he wasn't going to let that stop him. And he went there anyways to try to stop the, or try to help prevent malnutrition among children. So he gets there and his strategy is to first look at all the families and see how they're doing at the moment. And what he found out was not all the families were doing the same. Some families were doing better than others. And they all lived in the same town and they all have the same amount of poverty. And it wasn't due to them... Uh, it wasn't due to them having some sort of money that they didn't know about. So what he did is he took a closer and deeper dive on why these kids were doing so much better than the others. And what he found was that these families were actually implementing different strategies for feeding their kids than the other ones. Sorry. He, they were implementing uh, different strategies, strategies to feed their kids than the other families were. But the other families had the opportunity to do the same thing. They just didn't know it, right? And what it ended up being was something like feed the kids four times a day rather than two. Uh, give the kids some protein and shrimp, which most families didn't. They thought kids should only eat mushy food. Uh, but they gave them that and, and it really improved their health. How this can apply and how this can apply to our lives is pretty simple. I mean... Whatever your goal is, whether it's losing weight, uh, trying to study hard, or trying to make a lot of money, just look for times where you kind of made progress towards your goal. So you can hone in on losing weight because it's pretty simple. Uh, look for days where you did really well at eating, right? You didn't overeat these days. Why is it that you didn't overeat these days? Was there any different factor? Was there any variables that you're missing out on that allowed you to have such a good day when it came to uh, eating? And then, so now we're going to move on to chapter two. And that's, that's how we can apply it to our lives. Just basically look at the bright spots and try to figure out how we can re-implement them. Chapter three is it's called Script the Critical Moves. And it's very closely related to chapter four, which is point to the destination. So I'll do them both at the same time. And basically what you want to do is to eliminate ambigui ambiguity from your goals. Okay. The thing is, we don't like the uncertain, right? There's a lot of studies that show this when there's two decisions and one says we can make $50 for sure and the other one says we can make uh, $60 with a 50% chance at making $0. Or sorry, a 50% chance making $110 and a 50% chance making $0. The math works out to be $55 for whatever you do on that side, but 50 on this side. We're going to take the sure 50. We don't like uncertainty, so don't use uncertainty to your goals, okay? Make your goals very specific. If your goal is to get in shape, don't make your goal just get in shape. It's too vague. Make it something like, I wanna be able to run 10 kilometers. I wanna lose 13 pounds. I wanna be able to bench press 135 pounds, right? Make it very specific so you know what you're working towards. And then going even further from that, make your very next move very specific, okay? Um, don't make your next move something along the lines that I'm going to work out. Put it into action. What are you going to do to work out? Are you going to start running? How far are you going to run? Are you going to start going to the gym? What time are you going to go to the gym? What are you going to do in the gym? What's your routine? Make it specific and it reduces, it reduces resistance of our mind to change. All right. So how we can apply this to our lives? I, I already said it pretty much. It's basically don't give vague commands and be specific. 
also don't give commands that we can rationalize to ourselves that we we uh, accomplish right make sure our, our our goals are black and white so one example for this I, they give in the book is basically uh let's say that your goal is to stop uh or to reduce the amount you use your phone right so a lot of us are addicted to our phones so it's probably a pretty common goal uh to reduce the amount we use our phone don't make your goal simply to reduce the amount you use your phone right because Here's the problem with that. What we can do is, first of all, we can say that we didn't really track how much we used the phone yesterday. So then, you know, it's probably less today. And then we end up with that. Or number two, we end up with, uh, I'll use my phone a little bit more today and I won't use it at all tomorrow. All right, it's too, it's ambiguous. So first off, truth of the matter is we're not gonna not use our phone at all tomorrow. And number, uh, and number two, who knows if it's less if we're using it less instead make your goal black and white so a good way a good example for your phone might be no using your phone at all while we're at dinner right if you use your phone a lot while you eat dinner no using your phone at all while you eat dinner right either you did it or you didn't and it's black and white it's clear there's no uncertainty whether or not you're accomplishing your goal and you know it's, it's just specific right it's it's a good way to facilitate us towards change and then chapter five we start moving on to the emotional side of change and uh, one thing we got to realize is basically that we don't rationally make change we emotionally change our behaviors our actions our thoughts and uh, a good example of this would be we all know it's bad to smoke cigarettes however we see lots of people smoking cigarettes right it's the emotional side of our brain that wants to crave the cigarette wants us to smoke it so what we got to do is we got to appeal to our emotions to stop the same, to stop the behavior or to create a new behavior, whether it be uh, to start running or whatever. So one good way to uh, create emotions, they argue in the book, is to as, a, as a, a framework they call see, feel, change. So try to make yourself see what the new life or new uh, world would look like after the change see it then try to feel actually what it would feel like in the new world would it, how it would feel good how it would feel different hopefully it's for the better and that will facilitate more or yeah i guess more better just better facilitate better towards change rather than just thinking about it and telling yourself why it's such a good thing to do so a good way we can apply this to our lives is if we're trying to get somebody else to make a change, for example, we can tell them stories, right? Make them really imagine it and see it and feel it. Tell, like, tell them how they would feel and tell, and tell them how they would, they would approve their lives after doing it, right? Just try to really make them experience the change, get some emotion behind it to power the, the change and then we're more likely to make it happen. Do the same thing with yourself, of course, if you want to change yourself. Chapter six, we go on to something called shrink to change. This is actually a really good chapter. I really like this uh, this tip here. It's, it's a simple one too. So there's two ways we can implement it. And basically what we want to do is we want to make it seem as if changing isn't going to be as hard as it's actually going to be. So one way we can do this is to give ourselves momentum, right? So let's say for example, you want to lose weight but you tell yourself you're starting from scratch and you haven't done anything towards losing weight. 
One way we can give ourselves momentum is to think of all the things we've already done that's going to help us lose weight. So for example, we might already have a gym membership. We might already have gym clothes. We might already know what type of foods we have to eat. We just haven't been doing it. We might already know, uh, we might already have people that, friends that go to the gym that could help us, right? We give ourselves momentum. Tell us that we already knocked out all these barriers already and then the next move is going to be that much easier. Another way we can shrink the change is to take a big goal and make it into a bunch of small goals. And now this sounds very basic and uh, it really is, but it's a really good tip to use. So a good example I like is to make a million dollars in a year, right? That sounds humongous. Make a million dollars in a year. It is quite literally one of the, it's a great accomplishment to have. One way we can shrink this though is to say, let's make $3,000 in a day. Still sounds pretty crazy, you know, $3,000 in a day is nothing, nothing to scoff at, but it sounds a lot more manageable than a million dollars in a year. You want to take this to the next level. Let me get a calculator here because I don't know the number. We do 3,000 divided by 24. Say, can you make $125 an hour? And you might think to yourself, you know what? I, I made $125 an hour before. Uh, I, I've sold stuff for $125 an hour. So, you know, shrink the goal to make you see that the next step or what you really have to do doesn't have to be so big. And that, that will motivate you because it's a lot less scary to do $125 an hour than it is to do a million dollars in a year, even though they're the same thing. So now we're going to chapter seven. It's called Grow Your People. And uh, basically what this chapter is about is about how we can try to make people make identity decisions versus uh, economic decisions, right? So there's two types of decisions that we tend to make. And one is a cost-benefit analysis, right? You kind of look. So one example of this could be you go to the store and you look at uh, a pizza, right? You look at a pizza and you see it's $5, right? And cost-benefit analysis, you would say, okay, this pizza is $5. It's going to feed me for two days. Or I could buy this rotisserie chicken for $6 and it's going to feed me for two days. Taste aside. <clears throat> You're going to buy the pizza, right? It's just going to feed you for two days and it costs less. But on the other hand, there's an identity decision. Okay, now this is a decision where you make because of your identity. It's not totally based on economics and you kind of might do things that go against conventional wisdom. So how we do this is we try to make people identify with a tribe. And in the book, they talk about uh, a conservation, con somebody who tries to protect endangered species. He goes to a country and tries to make them see that some sort of parrot is their national animal and now nobody's going to kill the national animal. And it worked out. The parrot ended up surviving and uh, it wasn't, it didn't die out as it was predicted to do. How we can do this in our lives is if we want to, if we want to convince somebody to do things, bring out identities that they possess that uh, would facilitate these decisions. So let's go back to the pizza and rotisserie chicken. Let's say we're a salesman and somebody comes in and we say, you know what, man, you, 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 you need protein, you're right. You go to the gym, you're trying to lose weight. You need a lot of protein. This rotisserie chicken has more protein, right? And, and chicken, chicken is America's, Americans favorite food, right? And you're American, right? Let's say that's true, even though it's not, but let's say it's true. They're going to make an identity decision and buy the chicken. Um, they'll go on to also talk about something called the growth mindset. Um, it's, 
I thought it was a little off topic, but it might be that I just didn't quite understand what they were talking about. But basically the growth mindsets, trying to convince people that they have the mindset that it's okay to fail. And then that will make them more open to change. And that's true. Uh, it's, it's true. Just, just a little tidbit right there. And then we have chapter eight. And then this is chap. These are the chapters that we start to get into how we clear the path out a little bit more. There's only a few more. So tweak the environment. This one's pretty basic. Basically what you want to do is make it easier for the desired behaviors to happen, right? Don't make it more difficult to happen. So if your desired behavior is to eat better, eat less pizza, don't buy pizza, right? Don't go to the section of the store that has pizza. Change your route. Tweak your environment so it's a lot harder for you to not do the desired habit. Um, chapter nine, it's about building habits. Uh, what this ha what this is about is basically about adding triggers to our environment to remind us that we want to do a desired habit. So let's say you want to hit the gym tomorrow and you forget or you you don't ever get around to doing it. One way that you can trigger the habit is to lay out all your gym clothes nice and neat next to your bed in the morning. So as soon as you wake up, you see it and it's that much easier to go and uh, go and work out. Another great example and one that I actually really like is to say to make a checklist or yeah, checklist. I don't know. I thought they were called something else. Make checklists for you to look over so you can look at them and say, oh, I have to eat healthy. Right. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this or make it a little bit more specific and excuse me, a little bit smaller. I have to eat uh, only 2000 calories today. Okay. And then you even list out the foods, uh, rotisserie chicken, uh, half a slice of pizza, <laughs> you know, make it really easy for you to see. And it's going to uh, trigger the habit going to remind you to trigger the habit chapter 10 is about rallying her basically this chapter is just about using social proof to uh to get other people to see that the change is happening um oftentimes there's a silent majority that wants things to happen so if there is a silent majority try to bring out that silent majority and make them vocal uh it, it will pressure us to do uh the desired behavior and chapter 11 is keep the switch going. Basically, this just means to always positively reward yourself for making change. Don't, you got to realize that the change isn't going to happen overnight. Uh, it might take a while to make the change, but every move you make towards the change, reward yourself. And uh, eventually you'll get there. <clears throat> I'm starting to lose my voice now. So, yeah. Anyways. That's it. Uh, hope you enjoyed. Hope I get better explaining. And as always, uh, have a good day.